for Motley Fool Answers comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, who are excited to introduce their all-new Rate Shield approval. If you're in the market to buy a home, Rate Shield approval is a real game changer, and here's why. First, Quicken Loans will lock your rate for up to 90 days while you shop. But here's the crucial part: if rates go up, your rate stays the same. But if rates go down, your rate also drops. Either way, you win. It's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to RocketMortgage.com/fool. This episode of Molly Full Answers is also brought to you by Away. Away makes first-class luggage at coach prices that allow you to charge your phone on the go. For $20 off of a suitcase, go to awaytravel.com slash fool and use the promo code fool. That's awaytravel.com slash fool, promo code fool. This is Molly Full Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, joined as always by Robert Brokamp, personal finance expert, right here at the Molly Fool. Hello, Allison. In this week's episode, we're joined by a few Motley Fool members with their stories on how they share the love of investing with their kids. And Bro is going to talk about the increase in retired Americans filing for bankruptcy. Another good. Oh, uh, that's going to be a downer. But it's good. It's it's, it's good. important that we know this. We should. All that and more on this week's episode of Molly Fool Answers. So, bro, what's up? Well, Allison, if you look at the typical metrics of an economy's well-being, we're doing pretty well nowadays. Second quarter GDP came in at a healthy 4.1%. Unemployment is at a very low 3.9%. And the stock market is up for the year so far. (laughs) What do you know that I don't, bro? (laughs) Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Uh, But not everyone is in good financial shape. And one group that is at risk, a subset of senior citizens who have little room for economic error. That's one takeaway from a recent report entitled Graying of U.S. Bankruptcy, Fallout from Life in a Risk Society. It's brought to us from four, by four professors, Deborah Thorne, Pamela Fui, Robert Lawless, and Catherine Porter. And I'll just read a little bit from the abstract. Using data from the Consumer Bankruptcy Project, we find more than a two-fold increase in the rate at which older Americans aged 65 and over file for bankruptcy and almost five-fold increase in the percentage of older persons in the U.S. bankruptcy system. Wow. Yeah. So, it's not necessarily an uh, an epidemic. So, here's some of the stats. From February 2013 to November 2016, there were 3.6 bankruptcy filers per 1,000 people in the 65 to 74 age group. So, 3.6 per 1,000. But in 1991, that number was just 1.2 per 1,000. So, it's the trajectory of the trend that is worrisome. So, what are the causes? Well, according to a survey that uh, was done for the report, about three in five said unmanageable medical expenses played a role, and we've seen this in every age group. I could have told you that. Yes. I didn't even read the report. Right. Uh, a little more than two-thirds cited a drop in income. Hmm. Um, many said it, uh, the bankruptcy came from helping others. A little more than a third of the older filers said that they were helping either their children or their parents or other relatives. Um, a big part of it is nowadays more and more parents and even grandparents are co-signing for kids' student loans. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Um, also, more people are entering their later years carrying debt. So, roughly 41% of people in 2016 in that age group, 65 to 74, had a mortgage. Again, that's 41%, compared to only 21% in 1989. Um, and one of their overall themes of the report is that part of this is just that risk has been sort of transferred over the last three decades. So, people are more now responsible for their own retirement savings in the 401k type of situation versus a classic defined benefit plan. 
uh, out-of-pocket um, health care expenses have gone up. Fewer companies are offering retirees health insurance. So, this whole collection of factors are what is driving this. So, I have to say that whenever I hear a study like this, I'm a bit of a, a mixed mind. So, on one hand, many people are in these situations due to no fault of their own. So, when the New York Times wrote about this, they talked about a guy who was a carpenter. He became disabled when some equipment fell on him. Then he got Parkinson's, his wife got cancer, and he was getting health insurance from his union, but then they dropped him. Oh. Like, there's nothing that guy could have done about that. And for someone like him, that's what bankruptcy is for. Like, it's his last resort. The Washington Post, when they wrote about it, they talked about a woman who's retired in her late 60s and is just living on Social Security. And they didn't really say much else other than she had to rely on credit card debt and at some point it became unmanageable and she had to declare bankruptcy. So, in that situation, I don't, there might be other stuff about her that wasn't in the article, but the bottom line is she probably shouldn't have retired. Mm. She's someone who probably should have kept working. So, in the report, you can definitely see that they're advocating for some societal changes, that government is really the only person who can step in, the only entity that can step in and take care of a lot of this. The thing is, we don't know if and when that's going to happen. Obviously, not everyone agrees with that. So, what should individuals do? Well, the first thing is, I think what we have to do as a society accept that when it comes to retirement, 70 is the new 65. Most people should not really think about retiring until they're age 70. Um, that's for economic reasons. But I've done a lot of reading recently over whether retirement is actually healthy for people. And the evidence is, is basically mixed. There are definitely studies that have shown that for some people, like they look at a group of people, and the people who retired earlier experience more health issues, greater risks of a heart attack, and things like that. There are other studies that find the opposite. Um, you may have heard about uh, what they're calling now the epidemic of loneliness. In fact, the UK, it's a global phenomenon. The UK now has a minister of loneliness. Oh. Um, and it's more pronounced for older people because. Sounds like it's from Harry Potter, <laughs> the minister of loneliness. Um, so it's, it affects all ages, but it particularly affects older people. For a lot of people, their number one social network comes through work. They leave work, especially if they're not married and they don't have kids or they're far from their family. They're lonely. So there are lots of other reasons to consider working longer as well. So for me, the bottom line is. Before you retire, you definitely need to get a professional opinion of whether you are ready. And you have to factor in some sort of cushion so that in case you, know, you are getting a pension that eventually maybe gets cut, or you're getting health insurance from an old employer that gets eliminated, or you have health problems that you didn't expect. But that kind of cushion has to be built into the plan. So get that professional opinion whether you're financially able to retire, but also really think about whether you're emotionally able to retire and whether even working just part-time in your 70s is the right thing for you to do. Support for Motley Fool Answers comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Let's talk about buying a home for a minute. Because of rising interest rates, there's a lot of unpredictability when it comes to buying a home these days, and it's causing a lot of anxiety. Well, our friends at Quicken Loans are doing something about that. They're calling it the power buying process. Here's how it works. Quicken Loans will verify your income, assets, and credit in less than 24 hours to give you a verified approval. That gives you the strength of a cash buyer. Then, once you're verified, you qualify for their all-new exclusive Rate Shield approval. 
First, they'll lock your rate up for 90 days while you shop. Now, here's the best part. If rates go up, your rate stays the same. But if they go down, your rate also drops. Either way, you win. It's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash fool. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year purchase transactions. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply based on Quicken Loans data in comparison to da- public data records. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS. Consumeraccess.org number 3030. Kids, I don't know what's wrong with these kids today. Kids, who can understand anything they say? Time is the investor's best friend. The more time in the market, the more your stocks benefit from the miracle of compound growth. In other words, the sooner you start, the more you'll potentially have. So, with that in mind, we welcome to the studio two fools who have helped put their kids on the road to investment success, Matt Banner and Brian Withers, and Matt's daughter, Emily. Bonus welcome, guys. Fool. A bonus, bonus fool. <laughs> Thanks, guys, for joining us. You can say thanks back, or it's <laughs> nice you. to be it's here, great. or acknowledge. <laughs> thanks, it's great to be here. <laughs> or uh, not, maybe it's not. <laughs> this is the worst thing ever. <laughs> thanks, bro. <laughs> so it is Fool Fest. You guys are here for Fool Fest, and while you're here, we decided to um, have you come in and talk a little bit about how you guys both got your kids started investing and then also see the results in person and hear straight from Emily how good of a job your parents did getting you started investing. Are Thanks. you gonna you might get a grade here. Well, we'll see. Uh, that'll be good. I hope I pass. I, know, I hope so too. <laughs> so let's start uh, Matt and Brian with your stories about how you started investing and how long you guys have been fools. So I joined the Motley Fool in um, February of nineteen ninety eight. Wow, long time uh, fool. Been around for a little while and um, I think the Motley Fool Investment Guide was the first uh, investment type book that I'd ever read, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know. I guess I've you know, drunk the Kool Aid, and uh, <laughs> I've had a great experience meeting friends, learning you know tons, um, you know, trying to share some of it with my kids. So um, when uh, Stock Advisor kicked off, I joined that. Um, Hidden Gems kicked off, I joined that. Yeah, I mean, personally, as a kid, like I always wanted to. Invest. I thought it was the the coolest thing, right? And um, sharing it with, you know, I don't know how old I was, but at some point I mentioned it to to my dad, and you know, the comment was, "Well, you can lose money too." And given that, right? Like, I mean, I might have scraped together fifty bucks, right? Which would have covered the commission in those days, right? right? right. So, um, so it's only really, you know, once the whole, you know, discount brokerage stuff popped up in the in the '90s, right? That it was really possible to. Um, invest without having those commissions eat up right, most, of your, a broker. Yeah. <laughs> most of your um, investment, right? So, um, so when uh, my daughters were born, um, we opened Utma Agmas for both of them and um, covered all um, savings accounts as well. And um, never went the 529 plan route. Um, we lived overseas at the time, so that wasn't really an option for us. And I also always liked to do my own thing, so um, I didn't want to just be stuck into whatever funds you know, a 529 plan might have. So I uh, joined the Fool in 2004, and um, my first service was Stock Advisor, and soon added Rule Breakers after it. But I hadn't been been investing, I would call it randomly and unsuccessfully. Prior to that, um, I was uh, an IBM employee for a long time and participated in the stock purchase plan. 
uh, joined Dell in 1998, which got me kind of excited about stocks and what it could do. And there were Dellionaires all around. Mm-hmm. And you I know, think Dell was the, the best performing stock of the 1990s. Yeah, certainly. And I joined after that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so my introduction to stock purchasing um, in '98 through kind of 2001, I jumped on. You know any tech stock that I was super excited about during the tech tech boom and bust there, and um, things like Dell, Cisco, Palm. I don't know if you have, anybody ever had oh, a Palm I, Pilot. I remember, I I remember the Palm, Palm Pilot. Yeah. The Palm Pilot was a cool device, but the stock never really did anything. I had so, both. Yeah. Okay. Well, that, that was one of one of the tragic uh, stocks along my history. But um, part of part of the reason why I joined the Fool was, you know, this kind of unsuccessful and I'm not sure what I'm doing. And um, the stock advisor service was a, hey, these two stocks look great to us. Um, you know, we'll tell you in the sell, we'll keep you updated. And it was, um, it has been a trusted partner for me ever since. And um, kind of like Matt, I've just added services along the way. Joined uh, Fool One, I think, in 2013-ish. Um, and just have really benefited personally and my family. And we'll talk about kind of that a little bit bit later. And we have actually a conference in one of our conference rooms, a side note. Don't we have your member story? Yes, we do. We There's pictures of my kids when they were five and seven and the bike clock um, with it's it's lit up around it with um, lights that turn red when Netflix has a bad day and it turns green when Netflix has a good day. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, Lately, it's can. been green. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's been great. Um, so why don't you talk a little bit, Brian, about your kids and starting with their story because they're a little older. You have yes. two kids, um, and Matt's already talked a little bit about the accounts. So why don't you start how, talk about how you start with your kids and the accounts that you chose? Okay, um, I started with my kids in about the same time I started with the Motley Fool. It was one of those big light ball moments that kind of you mentioned in the beginning. The the time in the market is the most important thing, and not market timing. And um, when I joined The Fool, I was 37. And I was like, holy crap, I missed the boat. You know? <laughs> and uh, you know, I love the saying, um, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The next best time is right now. And so I said, well, I'm going to teach my kids. I want, I want them to experience this before they're 37. And uh, I pretty much gave them a 30-year head start on my experience. So um, one of the things that sort of gave me this idea was um, David and Tom explained their um, – at one point they were gifted um, some of their grandfather's money or portfolio, and it was in stock. It wasn't in money. And they were able to see things that had been held 20 and 30 years with a under – you know, $5 cost basis that are 50 and and $100 now and could see on paper the time value of money sort of realized and, and what it really does. And that's the experience that I wanted to create for my kids. And so um, somewhat unwillingly, or I sprung it on them, but in five, five and seven, um, we sat down at the table and drew a big grid on one of these large pieces of construction paper into six six squares and I drew a Dell logo, the golden arches. I took a, a Pikachu for Pokemon and put it on <laughs> one of the squares, uh, Buzz Lightyear for Pixar. And uh, they took a set of pennies that I gave them and they 
put pennies on the squares, and that's how we invested their money. So they've they've picked their stocks from the beginning. Um, I opened as far as accounts. I opened up UGMA's accounts for them as well, and um, that way I felt like the money was in their name, and it was their account, and they picked the stocks from the beginning, and um, I wanted to see them succeed or fail based on their picks. And what what did you when you were explaining investing to them from an early age? How did you? You were like, okay, here, I'm going to give you some pennies. You're going to set these down. But what did you explain to them before they set down the pennies? This was um, really what do you feel about the companies and how do you like them as a customer potentially? Um, you know, what does it what does it mean to you? And then you know, I talked about being a part owner. I don't think at five and seven that that really resonated with them. But um, one of their one of their large uh, holdings is Chipotle. And that's a really great. They both love. I call my kids the Burrito Boys. <laughs> um, I think I literally we visited Chipotle more than a hundred times last year, through the through the crisis, whatever. I we we've never gotten sick, and um, they're they're huge fans, and that's a super easy business to explain, right? You know, you got a you got a shop, you got to pay your employees, you have throughput. The more throughput, the more money. Um, you know, and it was really neat. I remember one day. Um, my son Zach, and and you got to take these moments when they happen. Um, he, we were at Chipotle and went through, and he's like, "How does Chipotle make money?" And I'm like, "Wow, okay, like, don't 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 screw this up. <laughs> <laughs> How long do I have before the eyes start rolling in the back of the head?" So that was that was a fun little discussion. So Matt, why don't you talk a little bit about how how old your kids were when you started, and how the stocks were chosen? Sure. So. Um, I guess I mean investing is probably my only real hobby. Um, so, um, you know, about the only thing that I'm doing when I'm not, you know, doing chores and whatever else has to be done around the house, right? Is I'm reading full discussion boards. I'm doing stuff in Quicken or spreadsheets or whatever, right? So, so at some point, and I think it was 2011, Emily said, "So what is this you know, that you're doing or whatever?" And so we talked a little bit about the idea of. Companies and you know buying a, a stake in them and you know so I asked her um, to think of companies that she was familiar with right and um, I think you still have that list don't you uh, somewhere? somewhere yeah so she it was very you know focused on physical presence right so um, I think you had like Costco and Joann's and Target and um, the supermarkets and you know places that we go to every day sort of thing right and. I was trying to then like get her to step back a little bit and think about things that you use, not necessarily places you go. And I was thinking, well, use the computer, right? We, you know, Google things, we, whatever. But uh, she's like, electricity, and <laughs> I'm like, oh, I do not want to talk about utilities. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so I am not comfortable with utilities. Let's not. Uh, but and then that was the one that she's like, well, let's look at it. So we we actually pulled up some financial statements and. Again, this is probably 2011, so you're maybe six, six and a half years old. You know, we did some really just basic stuff about okay, well, this is what a market cap is. This is what um, I think we might have talked about dividends or something, right? And then everything sort of fizzled a little bit. We just, I don't know, didn't go anywhere. Didn't uh, um, life gets in the way? Six years old, (laughs) so I'm having a hard time. Life got busy, whatever. Yeah. So yeah. But back in the day, Tom used to do his quarterly everlasting picks. Um, live with a studio audience, you know, here at full headquarters, and um, 
so for the October picks, um, I was like, oh, well, Emily, do you want to go with me to full headquarters and we'll you know, see the great unveiling, right? And she thought that sounded like fun. And I um, laid out a few ground rules that um, she had to, I, I bought her a notebook. Um, she had to yeah, take oh, a, she here. brought here. She's, <laughs> she just she's been taking up. notes this morning at, uh, at Full Fest. Um, and like, you need to write down, you know, each of the companies that Tom talks about and some bullets about, you know, why he thinks they're good investments, right? And then um, my plan, and you know, we've done it mostly well, um, is that every quarter um, when those everlasting picks come out, um, I give them to the girls and um, and I allocate $500 of their UPMA uh, um, for them to buy shares. And they have to, you know, in addition to picking out the company, they have to figure out how many shares they can buy and um, you know, rolling in whatever dividends they've been paid out in the meantime. and. Everything right. So, um, so for that first uh, for that first pick, she, you know, was sitting right in the front row, writing, taking amazing notes, right, and uh, um, and even afterwards, amazing notes I with spelling errors. <laughs> she I'm was looking seven at it right at now. <laughs> You're like, I was so. so young and just oh, so foolish. The mistakes I made back then, and all those years which, ago. Which stock did you pick? Was it Facebook? Facebook. Okay. Oh, okay. Wow. And um, very well. That's <laughs> <laughs> been a good pick. And um, I guess one other memory of that uh, of that day here at the Fool was, um, you know, afterwards, you know, and, and this was out in the the round uh, space at the end of the the rotunda, the rotunda, yeah. Yeah. or the brotunda, yeah. as I like to call brotunda. it. Very Nobody good. Nobody calls it that. <laughs> I said, "Oh, my bro." Like <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there were maybe like. 30 or 40 people there. I don't know. It's not, not a huge crowd, right? And, you know, at some point I was talking with, uh, I think with uh, Jim Mueller, and um, and I look over and, you know, Emily's talking with David, and David's down like straight eye level. He's crouched down. They're, you know, off by the side having this great conversation, right? And I'm thinking, you know, um, later I saw Emily, I was like, so what did you and, you know, David talk about? Oh, Things I'm thinking. No, it's probably like the next like amazing stock pick, right? Like this is your opportunity, right? So, Did you get a good stock um, pick, Emily, from David? Do you remember? I do not, not remember. Not worth putting in the notebook. Apparently, <laughs> you didn't make the cut. That's so it. when we uh, so when we got home that day, um, you know, her other job was to brief her sister, who um, so 2012. So Felicity would have been five, just over five. And um, so that Felicity could make a decision as well, right? And it, you know, I, I was very clear that Emily wasn't allowed to say what she'd picked because I didn't want her to color. You know, so um, what were the reasons that you bought that you wanted to buy Facebook shares? To, of course, you have them written down because In the that's you what got the your notebook's investing for. Journal, yeah. so. Uh, so worldwide company. I can't believe I still spelled world with a U. Then that was annoying. <laughs> <laughs> um, has over a million users. Uh, looks like oh six hundred million thousand something like that. Log on to Facebook every day. Uh, people pay Facebook to show ads on Facebook. Tom thinks that Facebook will be the largest company in the world in ten years. Ooh, let's wow. look into that. That would be. We'll have to follow up on that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah we will. And uh, um, you know, so Emily, you know, at dinner that night, Emily shared everything with Felicity, and um, Felicity chose Cognizant, and and I said, well, why? And she said, I like the 
the word or the way it sounds or something like that. <laughs> and I said, that's totally cool. I need you to write it down, right? Right. <laughs> and uh, and I mean, just this morning at breakfast, you know, talking with you know fellow fools, and you know, when um, this came up, she's like, yeah, well, you know. I, I try to write better reasons now. Or something. <laughs> so, um, so the notebooks have been a big thing. It's one of those, you know, definitely do as I say, not as I do, because I, I'm not quite as organized about documenting everything in a journal. I do. I mean, I have spreadsheets and word documents and stuff sort of littered all over the place, right? But yeah. um, so every quarter, they do that. They, you know, buy their shares and um, and. Um, we enter them into a scorecard on the fool so they can yeah. track that. And, um, you know, sometimes, um, again, life gets in the way. So uh, coming to Fool Fest, I know they both said they wanted to come. I said, okay, well, we haven't done the January picks yet. We haven't done the April picks yet. <laughs> like a prerequisite for just going is we've got to get caught up because, yeah. you know, people are going to want to know what you've picked and what you're interested in. So. Yeah. And you guys actually came to Fool Palooza? Yes. Yeah. So you guys are here at Fool Palooza, yeah. and Emily, you were up front on stage, and you were getting interviewed along with your dad. And I forget, like they were asking you questions that were quite hard, and about you know like your invest, how you invest, and your investing philosophy, and you were nailing them. You were doing <laughs> such a great job, and everyone in the audience was just like, "Yes, she's the best." I'm pretty so, sure we had gone over the questions before. Well, so. you still, you still very impressed. It. Everyone was so impressed. You must be so proud. It's been a really. It, yes, yes. It's been a fun Matt's, journey. Matt's turning red now. Um, <laughs> it's the heat. It's a, I'm excited that they're interested in it, right? Um, because you know, again, they've got um, so much time, you know, to to do this. When we opened the Atmas, um, we, you know, contributed as much as we could afford for a long time. You know, although the intent obviously is for college, right? Technically, there's nothing that requires it to be used for college. So, um, you know, I'd been thinking for some time before we started this about how do I start that transition to, for them to take some ownership of this, right? So that it's not just an 18 years old and ta-da, wow, you know, we can do this, that, or the other thing, right? I'm so, going to cash out so um, I can buy a can go buy a car, car <laughs> whatever. Uh, whatever. I'm going to go uh, make some bad decisions so, with all this money. Go, no, go Emily's party. not going to do that. Emily's too smart for that. So, um, yeah, but also, right? And we, you know, I think we talked about this. Um, I think around Fool Plus, I met with one of the one of the financial advisors um, to sort of see, you know, get a grounding on where we were at with everything, right? And you know, he asked Emily, well, you know, do you play any sports? Do you whatever, right? Because, of course, scholarships being a possibility, no right? So, no sports. <laughs> but music. But, but music. Lots of good music. Lots of music. But every university needs a bassoon. So That's right. <laughs> it's like, or four. So, um, Is that why you strategically chose bassoon? Because there's just too many people playing the flute out there. No, I chose because there was a... Uh, the bassoon teacher at the music school had a group that would play outside the piano lesson room. So when I was waiting for my sister's music lesson, I would be sitting in that room doing homework or whatever, and they'd be playing, come over to the dark side, Emily, we have bassoons. <laughs> That's awesome. So she's on the dark side. Um, so I finally joined the dark side. <laughs> but, you know, the the knowledge that, wow, well, if, you know, I'm successful in something else, right, mm-hmm. you know, that... I can save that money for something else, right? And you know, I can pay for college another way, right? So, um, yeah. So 
it's kind of my way to get them to gradually transition that ownership over to them. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. Brian, your kids are a little older, and they are reaching the age of majority, they as it's are. known. So, do you have any rules about what they can use the money for, or, or is it dedicated to college? So, no, it's, it's not dedicated to college. Um, when I had originally set it up, my thought was that, um, you know, when they got to the age that they could take over the account, is that I hoped that through the the 12 plus years or whatever that we'd been talking, that they would see the value of investing and continue to hold if they needed to. Um, and, you know, the idea was kind of similar to Matt, to put in a certain amount over time. And then, you know, I kind of calculated what would it take to have a million dollars when they were 60 and kind of back calculated that into kind of how much we put in put in over time. Um, now, my kids are now 19 and 21. Um, the age of majority in New Jersey is 21. Um, what the cool thing is, and I called Fidelity kind of a little bit in a panic when Alex was 20 and a half, and I said, okay, what's going to happen? <laughs> um, do I just what lose the happen? keys? Do I lose visibility? So it was uh, a wonderful conversation, and I think you'll be very happy about how it works, at least at Fidelity. And I encourage you to you know, talk to your brokerage and whatever, whoever holds the account, is I have to turn the keys over. So I have to call them and say, okay, it's time, flip the switch. And um, what's nice is after Alex turned, I think when he turned 18, um, he was allowed. It kind of automatically showed up. He had the we we made he got a we got him a checking account um, because he was getting a job and needed some place to put it. And then all of a sudden, his brokerage account showed up, or you could see it. And you know, I've been very open about how much they've had over time, and we've talked about spiffy pops and Ted baggers, and they've they've had wonderful wonderful stock picks over the years. And, uh, you know, now that it was in there when he logged in, he could see it. And what's been super cool is, you know, we were putting in for the time when they were in um, before they were in college. And once once Alex got into college, um, we said, well, the funding's going to stop at that point for the UGMA because we're paying for college. So the, the idea was you sort of get the momentum started. And then for four years, it sort of sits on cruise control which has been absolutely wonderful. And their accounts have pretty much doubled in the last four years. And, you know, Alex, you know, calls me every once in a while and goes, Dad, the stock keeps going up. I'm like, yeah, that's a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) And it's been nice because he, you know, hasn't done anything. He can't touch it, but he can see it. And, um, you know, that's been a a special experience. And sort of our, our, you know, mental... uh, hurdle that the kids have to go over and we may have to be a little more objective about it is we want you to get to the point where you don't need the money. So um, I think that's one of the most important things um, in investing and kind of going back to the five and seven year old it sounded like that was sort of the same time you did too Matt and I know some people talk to me well that's too young and you know the kids are very aware of uh, brands at that age and have certain preferences and and you know, I, I'm I'm sure we we made the mistake around that age of giving the kids a uh, a Nintendo uh, Game Boy Color because we thought that would help them read. <laughs> that, that was like the dumbest parent decision ever. Um, I you know they they're not seen without a device ever anymore. But um, so the the idea is my my hope is that you know he graduates from college, gets a job finds a place to live, and then, you know, maybe after he's settled in for a year and is not in debt and the 
you know the the uh, the uh, the debt mongers are after him that we could turn the keys over and here you go. Gotcha. Um, so Emily, tell us a little bit more about your experience being an investor. Any other stocks that you've picked or any other thing else you've learned along the way? Uh, occasionally, I would pick a stock from Tom's quarterly picks that was too expensive for me to buy from what was deposited, and then I would either I would choose to save the money and either use it the next time to buy that stock or use it the next time to like, buy a different stock that I chose the next quarter, and um, that kind of was because uh, like that was the, that was a stock that I thought was more interesting, but then I had to choose between the two winners the next quarter. And that was kind of hard sometimes. Yeah, we we actually faced that early on, and and if you're dealing with five hundred dollars a quarter or you mm-hmm. know however, we did our picks annually for probably the first uh, ten years maybe, and um, that helped group a bunch of money together. Um, and at the time, I remember the stock advisor would do their summer summary, and they'd do every single stock, and it was about. I don't know, six or eight pages of, of stock picks and a little bit about each one. And so the kids would just go through and write their initials on them. And then we'd, um, you know, pick from that. So I think the other key is, you know, Emily was picking from a kind of a vetted set of Motley Fool recommendations, kind of same with my kids. And that has, has turned out, like I said, as a tremendous portfolio because we've, we've, we've bought and it's just sat there. Mm-hmm. Part of um, the kids' portfolio um, has an – this is comes with the little asterisk that says your results might vary. You know, mm-hmm. don't don't expect um, these kinds of things. They've had a 19% return um, since 2004. And annualized, I an, annualized. Yeah, yeah. Um, they they top 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 stocks that have um, are top in their portfolio are Netflix, Amazon, Apple, Chipotle, and Activision. And um, part of me investing with the kids is, you know, one of the things I have a, a tendency to do more often is fiddle with the portfolio. I'll sell a little bit of this, I'll buy a little more of that, I'll sell out of that because I don't believe in it anymore. And the the kids' portfolio, we've pretty much just bought and let it sit. And you know, if thing goes bankrupt, no what, no no worries. Um, I mean, the kids own. Uh, I don't know if anybody has heard of 3D Systems. Um, yeah, that's number ranked 21 on their list, and it's it's down 60%. But the overall portfolio, and I think that's the beauty of the the, the math and compound interest, is the the top stocks that have done well over the the 14 years that they've had the portfolio more than overwhelm, you know, a couple lousy picks. Mm-hmm. There've been um, when. Emily and Felicity pick out their picks. There's two things that I, you know, that they have to tell me about, and um, one is why they want to pick that, um, and it can just be a sentence or so, right? But um, and then the other one is how they make their money, which again shouldn't be a, you know, dissertation, right? It's, you know, coming back to, I don't remember who said it, but like you should be able to write with a crayon, right? What the business case of this business is, and um, so kind of distilling stuff down to that level, um, even for me, I think is good. Um, you know, tying into, and I, th- I think Brian, like you said at one point, like your kids were trumping your accounts because they, you they were fiddling, are. right? Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I personally have learned a few lessons along the way too, where between school and work and whatever, right? When they do place their orders, 
Um, it's after market hours, so they're you know putting in a limit order to go in the next day. They'll you know frequently take whatever the midpoint is you know from Monday, right, and enter their you know trade, and they they forget about it, and usually it goes through the next day. I'll say, hey, yeah, you're the proud owner of <laughs> you know, most recently Appian and Atlassian. So, but personally, right, like the number of times that I've done trades and be like, well, I know that's a pretty volatile stock, so I'm gonna go down a little bit lower, right, you know, and um, put the is, limit in a little lower, right, and yeah, because. You know, Probably it'll bounce around a little bit. I'll I'll get it right, and um, and that's why I didn't buy Tesla at thirty three dollars or something because although it was really volatile for like you know however many weeks between thirty two and whatever, it, you know the day that I entered my thirty three limit order it hasn't seen that ever since again. Right, right. right. So, so you missed out. I was like, ah, oh, yeah. Know. I remember you know on a few occasions biting my tongue a little bit as they pick what their strike or what their price is going to be for their limit order, right, and. You know, thinking, oh, well, you could probably get that for two dollars less, but does it matter that they get it two dollars less? And you know, when they're not going to yeah. see or touch those shares for fifteen years, it doesn't matter right. at all. Right. Right. Yeah, I think Matt, that I've I've done. My kids have done exactly the same thing. Um, I remember around two thousand eleven, um, Netflix had skyrocketed up and was almost at two hundred dollars, and I was selling Netflix. I was, you know, I had made tremendous amount of gains. And and in the summer um, issue, the kids were like, eh, "Let's buy Netflix." I'm like, "At two hundred dollars, you're going to buy Netflix?" And it's you know it's seven for one split, so it's like it's probably under thirty bucks now. And so those those uh, it's I'm sure it's one of their ten baggers in in the list of ten baggers that they have. But yeah, that was so it's it's their portfolio and it's their picks. And I tried to hold my tongue and not, and it's been a wonderful for the, experience. For the better. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> totally. So one more question. So let's say it's 10, 15 years down the road, and you're going to start helping your grandkids learn how to invest. Anything you would do differently this time around? Or have you been absolutely perfect? Uh, it sounds, always, it sounds frankly always, like you guys have done a good job. There is always room for improvement. The um, it's probably fair to say, and I, I don't think Felicity, who's not here to protect herself, I don't think she would disagree, but um, it, Emily has typically been more engaged with it. I mean, even as a seven-year-old, you know, she was more engaged than Felicity was when Felicity was a seven-year-old. And even now, at, you know, Felicity's 10, I think Emily was more engaged at 10 than Felicity is. Coming back to Brian's comment earlier about, you know, when are the eyes going to roll in the back of the head when they ask you a question, right? Um, I, th- I think in the earlier days, I probably did a little bit more like for every one of the five companies, I wanted them to pull out some bullets about each of them and write them all down in their notebooks and everything. Right. It's like, I still oh, maybe, and, and Emily does <laughs> yeah. and Felicity doesn't, but yeah. you know, now it's a little bit more read something and then write down bullets about the one that they pick just to make it a little bit more bite-sized because, um, because before it would take an hour to go through, which isn't the end of the world, and we tried to, you know, oh, let's go sit on the sofa and let's go through the stuff, right? Um, um, but trying to, you know, bring it down to slightly more bite-sized nuggets, because um, I've definitely gotten the eye rolling uh, yeah. in the back of the head with the, <laughs> not the whatever eye rolling, but the uh, <laughs> okay, I've just lost interest yeah. rolling. Right? Yeah. Yeah, so um, I would jump on the thing that Matt Matt says. We didn't we didn't keep the journal. We didn't write down why. Um, but the other the other piece that 
um, I think is an important concept that I missed is one, it was all uh, mom and dad's money. And, um, you know, I've, I've heard people do the, the grandpa match and stuff like that. And um, to encourage um, the kids to set aside, you know, whatever money they have, um, you know, Christmas, birthday money, um, you know, allowance and whatnot. And then I would I would do a, I would do a two for one match on that to give have them feel even more invested in, you know, that they're participating and it was their money. Um, you know, I, th- I think it, be- because I made a big deal about it's their picks, um, I think they feel very much ownership, but I think that would have even even taken it a little further. Mm-hmm. So that's actually a, a deal that we have with our little investing plan, and I can count on one finger the number of times. times. <laughs> I think it's once. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, it hasn't borne fruit, but I was... Yeah, I never really remember so. about it, so because um, I think that's a great idea too, right? Is having that that personal vesting, the, match, it, right? the matching program. Yeah, yeah, and it doesn't have to be in the beginning, right? Because when they're four and six, they're not you know very employable. <laughs> um, so you know maybe over time that that would be something that um, you know my my uh, younger son has a job, and um, you know we're talking about a Roth. And so that would be one that where, you know, hopefully I can get him to, you know, put some money aside and, and make his own picks. Something I've always intended is that when, you know, the earned income shows up that mm-hmm. um, that I will absolutely match. You know, I, I don't think I'd go quite 100 percent, but match a very substantial amount. Right. Especially in those first years. So that, OK, yeah, you're going to, you know. Maybe you only get eighty percent or something, so that you are making some contribution yourself, right? But that, um, by the same token, you know, if you've got any earned income at sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, that you know, the fact that you're starting a, a Roth mm-hmm. at that point that you're not going to touch for, you know, fifty, sixty years is going to be yeah. phenomenal. And uh, I'd, I'd kind of like to make an important point here too. Is um, you know, on the airplanes when they say the the, the masks come down. And they say, put your, you know, as an adult, put your mask on first. Um, all this investing with the kids stuff doesn't happen until your own financial situation is in order, right? Um, you know, if you're in credit card debt or, you know, spending more money um, than you earn, you know, this is not an option. You need to, you need to get your house in order first. Um, I remember I had set up um, an UGMA account a few years prior, prior to this. And it just wasn't time for us. We weren't ready. The kids were too young. And um, I ended up closing it. And I remember calling the Fidelity guy, and he goes, you know, you have to use this money for the kids' benefit. I'm like, oh, yeah. Can you say diapers? <laughs> um, so, so, you know, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a time to do it. And um, I think it's very important. Matt and I chose to invest with our kids. And that's a very different um, experience and thought process than you're investing for your kids. And um, it's been much more enriching for for us. Um, partly related to that, um, I guess. I mean, the enriching idea, right, is that um, we have some phenomenal dinner conversations, <laughs> right? That because there'll be whatever random, you know, Chris Hill's news fairy shows up, right? And <laughs> yeah, you've got um, you know stuff happening. I mean, all the Chipotle stuff, right? Like mm-hmm. that's that's been an interesting thing that's come up right or um some of the tesla stuff and the fact that the kids 
own shares in these companies, right? And um, you know, and you know, talking about you know Zuckerberg's you know, you know, briefing before Congress, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, there's that was on the some, radio, so I heard it and went, huh. <laughs> and, and there's some I, connectivity I own part there. of that company. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Don't screw it up, Mark. <laughs> so it's uh, it's fun when some of these you know it's, it comes full circle a bit, right? And mm-hmm. it's it's not just something that you spend you know 15 minutes or an hour on once a quarter and or once a year or whatever, right? But you know it it creeps in everywhere and uh, um, you know, makes life interesting. Well, this has been fabulous. Thank you very much for joining us, guys. Yeah. Thanks for inviting oh, it's us. It's been Thanks. wonderful. All right. And if Emily, if I can get you to read our disclosure for the show, that'd be great. As always, The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks we talked about here on the show. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you heard here. All socks right. or stocks? Oh, awesome. to say stocks. <laughs> or socks. Did I say socks? <laughs> Although I, do, I am wearing uh, some pretty cool well, guitar socks. Yeah, don't don't buy bros Go socks. ahead and buy socks. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to Away for supporting Motley Fool Answers. By cutting out the middleman, Away is able to offer the perfect luggage made with high-quality materials at a much lower price. It's lightweight yet ultra-durable, 360-degree spinner wheels that won't get stuck or break, and it glides smoothly in any direction. It also comes with a lifetime warranty. If anything breaks, Away will fix or replace it for life. It also comes with a risk-free 100-day trial period. If at any point you decide it's not for you, return it for a full refund, no questions asked, and plus free shipping anywhere in the lower 48 states. They actually sent us a couple of away suitcases to take for a spin, and they were really lovely. There's a built-in charger, tons of great colors, and five different sizes. It's lightweight, and it looks so stylish. Away has a special offer just for listeners of this show. For $20 off a suitcase, go to awaytravel.com slash fool and use the promo code fool at checkout. That's awaytravel.com slash fool, promo code fool. Well, bro, the postcards, they keep on a coming. Yay. Yay. It's so exciting. So Todd sent us uh, a couple postcards from Utah. So uh, here's one with lovely scenes of Utah. Right. And People then he also, Utah. yeah, you do. He also went to the Temple Square and he recommends going there to learn all about the Mormons. I have been there a couple times in my life. Um, Melanie went to Sonoma and Hoover Dam, which apparently has lovely Art Deco bathrooms. Really? Yeah. I've been there, but I don't remember that. I don't, I don't know. You probably you didn't get nosy and start walking the places you shouldn't. Okay. Uh, Brian <laughs> sent us a card from the exotic Rocky Mountains. And Team, this is so cute, Team Fullerado sent us a postcard from Denver. And it's signed by everyone oh, over in the Fullerado office. That is really cool. So thanks to Mona for organizing that. We love Mona. We do love Mona. Elise sent us our first postcard from Maine, Old Orchard Beach says, "Love the show." Uh, what else do we have here? Uh, Melissa went hiking with the Camels of the Clouds, aka Llamas, in Montana. <laughs> Rich Smith sent us a card from San Antonio. He's just running all over Texas these days. Uh, Bob and Julie are having a lovely thirty-day cruise. Look at and look at this handwriting. Oh my it's gosh! Gorgeous, perfect handwriting. So they're on a thirty-day cruise. Goes to Sydney, Tahiti, New Zealand, Fiji, Tonga, Bora Bora, and a bunch of other amazing places. And they sent this postcard from Hobbiton. 
the I guess that's how you would say it. The the where oh. they shot the oh, Lord yeah. of the Rings movie. Yeah. I'm, I, like it's Hobbit homes. Oh, that's it's so adorable. Funny. Yeah. Wow, those are still there. That's cool. Oh yeah, turn it into a tourist tourist yeah. attraction. Well, when we went to Malta, they had turned the set for the Popeye movie starring um, Robin Williams. Robin Williams. They had that set is now a tourist attraction in Malta. Oh my god, the Popeye Village. Me. I totally want to go to Hobbiton. It's on my bucket list. Yeah. Well, I want to. I hope we get more postcards from Bob and Julie because, again, lovely handwriting. That is pretty impressive. Uh, and they're going to some amazing countries. So maybe you need to go on this same cruise that they're doing. Maybe I'll check it out. Maybe. Uh, all right. Well, that's the show. Bro, we did it again. Can we you did. believe it? Oops. Uh, if you want to send us a postcard, uh, our address is 2000 Duke Street, Alexandria, Virginia, 22314. If you have a question for the show, our address is answers at fool.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, and there's also a Motley Fool podcast Facebook group if you want to just hang out and talk about stocks and stuff. And you know what? Another highlight of my week. What was that, Allison? Okay. This is a super long, crazy, like it's not even that good of a story, but I'm just going to tell it so um, Rick can use the song because we all want to hear it. So, uh, you know, Raffi, the children's performer? Oh, I do. Okay, not, so, not personally. Well, course. not personally. So he wrote the song Baby Beluga. Um, anyway, and so he posted on Twitter, hey, you know, here's the place where we taped um, Baby Beluga. By the way, the same producer on it was Daniel Lenoir and his brother. And Daniel Lenoir it was the same producer on Peter Gabriel's So and U2's Joshua Tree. Wow. And like, like he's, he's legit. So I was like, oh my gosh, on Twitter. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. The, the same producer of U2, of, of uh, Joshua Tree was the producer on Baby Beluga. And Raffi retweeted it. Whoa. Highlight of the year. <laughs> I was so, like, I geeked out so hard. Like, Baby Beluga is the first song Hannah ever sang on her own. She was, like, two years old, and we were on vacation, and she kept saying, Baby Googa, over and over again. And, and eventually I was like, you know, I think she's singing Baby Beluga um, when we got back home. I go to the daycare and I'm like, is Hannah singing Baby Beluga? And they were like, oh yeah, probably. So, <laughs> so it's got- been an emotional week for me and Hannah. She had her first day of kindergarten. So maybe that's why I flipped out over Rafi. Baby Beluga, oh baby Beluga. I got retweeted by Hamill himself. What? Mark, Mark Hamill? Hamill? Yeah. Wow. I think I showed you. It was when I sent him the picture of my kids dressed as Luke and Leia. So cute. Ugh. Ugh. He's really good on Twitter, too. He is. He's great. Yeah. Has anyone famous retweeted you, Robert Brokham? Uh, one of my favorite podcast co-hosts, Allison Southland. I think she did it once or something. Wow. That must have been a very special day. <laughs> it was a highlight. Anyway, thank you for letting me geek out over Rafi retweeting me, but it was a very proud moment. Anyway. The show is edited <laughs> baby belugingly by Rick Hingdahl. <laughs> uh, that was Robert, a lot of work. That was for Robert Brookham. I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody. Stay foolish.